This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Right now, let's go. Okay, Parsha by everybody, 5784. Here's what we're going to talk about. We have in the third Makkah, Makkah's Kinim, and Perichas Pasuk says, Vayasu the magicians, the necromancers, did so. They were able to do so, try, I guess, attempt to make Kinim, Belatehem, with their different magics, Lohotzias the Kinim, to bring out the Kinim, but they weren't able to do it. And then the kinam, this large kinam, was by all men and all animals. So in Tazvah Vayomar, Khartoum Malpar, the Khartoum and then said to Power, Etzbalokimi, this is the finger of Hakarish Barahu. Clearly the work of God. By Chazik Lev Paro, his heart was strengthened within him. He had hardened his heart. And he didn't listen to them like HaKadosh Baruch Hu had spoken. So a lot of stuff that you have to wonder just looking at the Pasuk itself. Number one, what does it mean at the beginning of the Pasuk where it says, They did it, but they weren't able to. Sounds like they did do something. What exactly did they do? What's the difference between Kinim and then Kinam? Where at first it writes it with a yud at the end, and then it says kinam right after that. And what does that mean? By tehia kinam Wasn't the kinam already happening by the people and the animals? Like all of a sudden it happened again? What does that mean exactly? And then what did they mean by etzbalokimi? That's the finger of God. As opposed to obviously the yad of a baruch the hand of a baruch What do they mean by all of this? So the first thing is like this. Rashi says that when it says the words lahotzi esakinim, it does not mean to take away the kinim. That we're trying to get the kingdom out of here. That's not what it means, right? As you might think that they were trying to take them off of their bodies. What they were trying to do, right, was they were trying to bring the kingdom. They were trying to bring out the kingdom to create them from elsewhere. In other words, to take them out from wherever they were and to bring it about. That's the idea. This is something they didn't even attempt to do. They didn't even try to be able to take the kinim away from themselves because they knew they wouldn't be successful. So instead they tried, can we create it ourselves? And they still couldn't do that. The Chizkuni says very simply, there's no way they could have been able to try to create more lice because how could they prove it was from them and not from the Maka itself? Meaning, if they had a thing of water and they could say like, look, I just turned this into blood, fine. You want to be able to gra- grab a bunch of frogs like in one place, I guess that's okay. But the kingdom already existed everywhere and it was on them already. So where were they going to show like we just created kingdom? The kingdom were all over the place no matter where it was. That's the idea behind the Chizkuni. The Chizkuni is like, that's why it couldn't be they were trying to take it away, trying to create, right? It had to be that they were trying to take it away. So he argues with Rashi and that's Rashi versus the Chizkuni. Those are the two Rishonim, what the words Lahotzi means. Now the Malbim explains that this actually was the expertise of these cartoons. These guys were doctors. They were experts at using medicines and knowing these different elixirs that they used to heal people. That's just what they did for a living. Remember, lice was a common malady back then. Everyone had lice. Everyone dealt with lice back then. That was just a normal thing they had to do. Now, because this is a Kaddish Baruch Hu's Makkah, nothing they tried worked. Nothing they tried to do ended up working. The lice were everywhere. They were affecting them in horrible ways, like think ticks, infestations, plagues, all the things that you can think of that you think was happening over there. And some of these people had lice for the rest of their lives. Says the Malbim, this was their absolute expertise. They were experts at trying to take it away. They tried to take it away and they couldn't do it because the Kaddish Baruch didn't want them to do it. Yes, what's up, Shalom? 
have the cartoon, it says even by the dam that they and the and the soup and the uh, and the matta that they also turned it into this thing. So over this they could also do cartoons. Correct, correct. It would have to be that it's in addition to. It happens to be this is their expertise, but there were also necromancers. There were also magicians. They also did other things and created things through magic. No no question. You're 100% right. That's 100% correct. Now, the Osnayim Torah argues that even though the Malvin, the Chizkuni go in one direction, he thinks Rashi makes more sense because the wording by the other Makos to remove the Makos is by Yosar, Lahachris, Visar, it doesn't use the word lahotzi. Lahotzi does seem to mean to bring out from somewhere else as if this is something that needed to be brought out. That sounds more like Rashi than anything else. That's what he says. But going on, what did they do exactly? What did these Khartoum do? So the Ibn Ezra says they took their staffs, they hit the ground with their staffs trying to bring forth lice similar to Moshe and Aaron and what they were able to do but they couldn't do it. They did it. They took their staffs. They went in the ground. They hit the ground as hard as they could but nothing happened. The Ramban says they did their hashbas hashedim. They made their this oath to the demons and did what they would normally do in order to make this happen, but they weren't successful. Says the Ramban, they had tried this before. They had maybe even done it before. They had created lice. It's not like the first time, their first rodeo, that they're going around and doing things. And nonetheless, they weren't able to do anything and they couldn't understand why. And that's what they were asking. What in the world's happening? Why didn't we do it? You clearly see, by the way, that the Ibn Ezra and the Ramban are both going with Rashi. The Chizkuni went in the other direction, but they're both going with Rashi itself. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah, where are they going to bring lice out from? I'm going to get to that. These Rishonim obviously must have said there was other dirt around for them to use, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that idea. Yeah. But they did know how Marcus Dam and Svardea happened. So the assumption is that they would have done the exact same thing that they did by Dam and Svardea, which was Aaron hitting both. Right? That's the assumption. Olive obviously was a little bit different. Now, there are three reasons given as to why the Khartoumim could not make this happen by themselves. They might not have known, but Chazal tells us there are three reasons why it didn't happen. Rashi says, and that this is the first one, because a shade, a demon, cannot do anything to something smaller than a barley corn. That's a tiny little thing of barley, you know, stuff you put in your chalon, right? A tiny little thing of barley. Anything smaller than that, nothing can be done based on shadim itself. This is the Gemara, Sanhedrin, Samach Zayin Medalf, that nothing can have. The Be'er Yitzchak says that this is the opinion of Repopo over there, right? That's the idea, and therefore they couldn't do anything since it was too small. The Mi'am Loez explains the reason why is because shadim had the power of Tuma. Tuma is limited to those things that Tuma would apply to. Tuma only applies to something that's the size of a barley corn. Under that size, under that amount, cannot be declared tame. So they had nothing to do. They had absolutely no power over it. There was nothing they were going to be able to do in such a thing. That's the Miyam Loez, that there had to be some sort of power, something they had to do. The Maskil David, he says that Shadim get all of their power from the bones of the dead. And we know that Tuma by the dead only exists by a barley corn, and therefore makes sense their power was over the dead, not just about Tuma itself, but Tuma's mace over anything else. And that's how the Moscow David says it. Now, Gur Aryeh brings another reason as well, another reason why specifically a barley corn. He says the following, and I don't know if this is the exact amount, but he says, something chashuv in this world is considered in this world. If it's too small, it's like it's not here. It's like it's not in the world at all. Now the question is, what is too small? Is something too small that you can't see? Well, yes, definitely. 
What if it's so small, it's insignificant to everything around it? It's bottle to everything around it. Well, what is so small that it's bottle to everything around it? And Chazal said the smallest thing that is considered chashuv is a barley corn. Why a barley corn? Because that's something that the Torah is machshiv because it's one of the seven fruits. But anything smaller than that is not chashuv. And if it's not chashuv, it's like it's not here. If it's not here, it's bottle. A shade can only work with this world. It can only work with something that they can see that's chashuv in the world itself, not things that are bottle. And therefore, either because of tuma altogether, tumas mace, or because it's not chashuv, that's why the barley corn meant absolutely nothing to the people there, and why it did absolutely nothing. The chizkuni, he doesn't like this, because he says, wait a second, later on in Arov, right, they had no problem creating other animals. Now, I don't know where the Chizkuni comes up with this. They never got the Khartoumim to make Arov later on in Arov. We don't see the Khartoumim involved whatsoever. Also, what animal, what wild animal was small that they had to deal with by Arov? There were no small animals then. Now, there is a Medrash, a Medrash Rabbah that says that Arov was gnats tiny little gnats and fleas and that was part of Arov as well. Aside from the bigger animals, there were also tiny little things. But it's such a strange kind of the Chizkuni. I really don't have an answer as to why the Chizkuni said it, but he said I don't like this answer, I don't go with such an answer. So he didn't like Rashi's answer. The Maladiskin says about this, he says such a crazy thing. They tried to gather lice from other places, right, but their Shadim couldn't do that because they were too small. Then they tried to create bigger forms of lice but they couldn't do that because these things don't exist. Lice doesn't exist. You know, a louse doesn't exist more than a tiny, tiny, tiny little thing. So that's not possible. So they were limited to what they were able to do. They couldn't gather it in, but they also couldn't create it. So they tried, they tried to do all these things, and nothing worked. The Miamloes, the Maskil, the David, Nachlas, Yaakov, all said the same as the Smaral Diskin. They had no choice. There was nothing they could do. But obviously, it's the same idea. The Bechor Shor even asked this question. He says, I don't understand this, Maimur Chazal. But he says, Ein Lahashiv. I can't ask questions on Chazal. If Chazal say that magic, that Shadim, cannot work on less than a barley corn, then I'm going to have to accept it. I don't get it. I don't know why it would be so. There's no specific reason why this would be true. But I don't have a choice. That's what Chazal say. So I accept it as absolute truth. That's what the Bechor Shor says, which is absolutely crazy. Now, the parish on the tour says, there's a medrash that says that each one of these lice were massive. Now, I, I, have you ever seen a louse before? You seen a little picture of a louse, right? I, don't, I hope you've never seen it in your hair. But if you've seen it, if you've seen lice and you've seen those little pictures, they are scary little creatures. Tight, little tiny, like, oh, they're disgusting. And if you include in that category, by, by the way, ticks and fleas, gnats, and all these weird creatures, right, that I could just that are tiny, and you multiply them by a hundred or a thousand it's the scariest thing you've ever seen before in your life. You're seeing these bugs that are all over the place and they're massive, literally massive. And according to the Medrash, the tinier lice still attach to their bodies underneath their clothing. The bigger lice attach to their hair and it bored into their skin and started sucking out their brains. That's pretty good. That's a, that's a really, really, really awesome way well, for Mitzrayim to die. I think that's, that, that's pretty an amazing way to be able to do this. Those lice were massive. Says the parish on the tour, why wouldn't they be able to create that if they were bigger than a normal size? In fact, the measure says they were the size of a chicken egg. If they're the size of a chicken egg, then you certainly could create it. So it goes back to the Moscow of it. It must be 
that if something doesn't exist in our world, then it's impossible to create. And these things certainly do not exist in this world. And if there's another issue of maybe magic could do something, well, there's another issue with magic, which we'll get to in a second. Now, the Dazdekini and the Medjidlakatov say the reason they could not duplicate this maka is because the lice were mopsic between their legs and the ground. Kishuf, a machashif, a magician, only works when he has his feet planted firmly on the ground. Now, there's a riot of this. There's a proof of this. I don't know if you guys know this, Misa. It's brought in Yushalmi, Yushalmi Chayiga, Perak Beis, Halacha Beis. It's quoted in Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin Memdalit Mabez by Rashi. You know the story? The story goes like this. Shim Ben Okay, so I'm going to start from the very, very beginning. It's a rather long Misa. There was a person, a chassid, who was a very, very big chassid, and when he passed away, at the same time, there was another guy who also died, who wasn't that great, that great of a guy. As they were bringing them to their funeral, both at the exact same time to the same basic varos, all of a sudden, a bunch of robbers appeared out of nowhere and started chasing the people. So all the people like left the Kvarim and they ran away to all these different places. Only one person, a Talmud of that chassid, that rabbi, right? That Talmud stood by his rabbi's, rabbi's beer and wouldn't allow anybody to come near it and he stayed there. Eventually the people came back. They looked back and they were just like, okay, which kever is which? We don't want to open it up. And they said, oh, this one must be the chassid and this one must be the other guy. And the, the guy, the Talmud who was there, he's like, no, 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 this is the chassid. I was with it the whole time. The chassid is this one. That guy is over there. But they said, no, can't be, can't be. And they went and they buried the chassid in a totally nondescript, terrible place in the cemetery. And they buried the other guy, the guy who was known as a nobody, in one of the most chashiv places in the cemetery. And the Talmud is sitting there and he's like, he's screaming, but nobody's paying attention to him. So he's so upset that he... Davin Sua who asks, he wants to see his Rebbe in a dream. And he does. He sees his Rebbe in a dream, and his Rebbe is shining. And he said, Rebbe, what in the world happened? And he said, you have to understand, one time I heard the Zilusid of a Tamil Chacham. I heard somebody making fun of a Tamil Chacham. I didn't make a Machal. I didn't protest the way that I should have. And therefore, I was punished that I'm not buried in a Chashu part of the cemetery. Right? But don't worry, now I have Ganadin. He said, but what about that guy? Why was that guy deserving to be in that part? He said, well, one time you had a massive party. Nobody showed up. And he took all the food and he gave it to the poor. So therefore, he deserved to be buried in that side of the cemetery. But don't worry, he's sitting in Gehenna. And his ear is the doorway of Gehenna. So every time they open up the door to Gehenna, I didn't know there was a door to Gehenna, but every time they open up the door to Gehenna, it goes inside this guy's ear. And he says, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's terrible. He said, what kind of a, what's it called? How long is he going to have that punishment for? He said, oh, until Shimon ben Shetach takes his place. It's Shim ben Shetach. Shim ben Shetach is the Nasi of Klai Yisrael. Maybe the Abbasin Machlokas and the Gemar Makos, but Nasi or Abbasin and Klai Yisrael, right? How could that be? So he ran to Shim ben Shetach and he told Shim ben Shetach that this happened and Shim ben Shetach realized that the reason why is because he had made a promise that there were 80 witches in Ashkelon and he was going to get rid of the 80 witches in Ashkelon when he became the Nasi or Abbasin, whatever it was, and he had never done it. So he said, now I'm going to take care of it. So he calls together all of his Talmidim, right? He gets together all of his Talmidim. This is Mamaji Yushalmi. And Rashi brings down the whole thing. So either way, he calls together all the, the Bacharim. He's given 80 different Bacharim. He says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take two Kalim. And one of the Kalim, you're going to have a raincoat. You're going to put it inside there. You're going to cover it up. You're going to completely seal it. And the other one, you're going to have like little things, this, that, and the other, whatever. You're going to probably tr- do one, one thing or the other to, to be able to have that inside there. And then we're going to go over to this cave. They went to the cave. Shem Ben Shetach wore 
right, his raincoat on top of him so that he was completely dry as a bone or whatever it was, right? And he got to the, he got to the, what's it called? To this cave where all the 80 witches were on a very, very, very rainy night, right? Took off the thing, right? Walked inside and he was dry as a bone. So witches saw him, they said, how are you so dry? I guess they'd never heard of a raincoat before. But he said, oh, I was able to walk in between raindrops. They said, oh, so you're a magician, right? We're, met, we're witches too. So he said, oh, well, I can do something that I guarantee you none of you can do. And they said, what? He said, I can find 80 young men who can run here and they'll be able to grab you, right? And, and they'll dance with you all night long. So the 80 witches said, okay, do it. So he said, uh-uh, I'm only going to do it if I can prove that you yourselves are witches as well. So all the 80 witches did the exact same thing. They did something, like, I don't know, they made some magic. I guess he needed proof that each one of them knew magic, whatever it was. So all the 80 witches did what they were going to do. They did it, right? And afterward, they said, all right, you prove your worth. So he blew a whistle or did something, and immediately the 80 men who had the raincoats on, whatever, put it inside that big Kaylee thing, and then they all ran inside. As they ran inside, they picked up one of the witches, lifted her up off the ground. As we said before, that if witches are off the ground, they don't have the power of magic. There's nothing that they can do. So they lifted them off the ground, brought them all the way to a gallows that had already been prepared with 80 different gallows, 80 different things on it, and hanged all of the witches. Not hung, because you hung a salami, but you hanged people, right? He hanged all 80 of those witches, put all of them up there, and they all died. From there, that Yerushalmi, we see that you cannot do magic if your feet are not firmly planted on the ground. If the lice took up the top three tfachim of the ground throughout all of Mitzrayim, as you just mentioned before, there was no way for them to do magic because they had no ability to stand on the ground itself. From this, says the Dazakanim and the Midrash Lakach we see that they had no ability to make the lice. They couldn't do it with Shadim because it was too small. They couldn't do it with magic because they weren't touching the ground itself. Amazing answer, right? The Shach may give a third reason. Because they were covered from head to toe with lice. They had no ability to get rid of it and take it off their skin. Had they been clear and clean, maybe they would have been able to create their own lice. But because they had it all over themselves, they couldn't handle it, and therefore there was no way for them to be able to do it. And that's Batihi Kinum. The Kinum was there. They couldn't do anything about it. It was on them and completely covering them. That's the Shach. The Chizkuni gives a fourth reason. Chizkuni says they tried to create all the li- more lice, but they couldn't find any dirt. The dirt had all been turned into lice throughout all of Mitzrayim, right? And that's that. They had no dirt to work with, so they had no ability. Now, I know what you're thinking, because it's what everyone should be thinking on that chizkuni. Miam Lewis argues that Hashem made, fir- made sure that at first, this maka would only hit the people and the animals, and only afterward the ground beneath them, said the Khartoumim wouldn't complain, if only we had dirt, we'd be able to do it ourselves. Exactly what the Chizkuni says was the reason why they weren't able to do it. He says that's why he allowed them to have dirt and they still couldn't do it. And then all the dirt turned into lice. So the dirt only turned into lice after the Khartoumim were unsuccessful. But I, I think it's also obvious. What do you mean there's no dirt? Dayelas Ashachar, right around like Shaman says, they just, they could have gone outside of Mitzrayim and they would have gone, gotten dirt from there. It wasn't like Mitzrayim was that huge. Go somewhere else and go get the dirt and be done with it. And that's that. Also, the Gemara, the Medrash says that the, 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 the ground was only three tfachim, maybe six tfachim deep with lice. 
right? I saw one that said there were five Amos. But either way, you can dig down and find dirt. It's not like there's no dirt in all of Mitzrayim. Of course there was dirt over there. The Chida asks, well, why didn't they just take dirt from Goshen? There was dirt in Goshen, right? The Jews didn't have the ground filled with lice throughout all their bodies. Like, obviously that wasn't there. They would have just been able to go every... So it's possible that every time the Khartoumim came near dirt, it turned into lice in front of their eyes. That if a Jew was standing there, it turned into dirt. And when a Mitzri stood there, it turned into lice. Similar to the water and the blood, it's possible that that happened. But why wouldn't they pay the Jew to give them dirt like they did by the water and the dam? Of course, it could be that didn't happen, but it's just really, really strange. But that leads us to a very famous Midrash. A couple weeks ago, Yaakovinu said that he didn't want to be buried in Mitzrayim. And he gave three reasons for it, right? Number one, he didn't want to be considered a god. Number two, he didn't want to roll by Tchiesa Mesim into Eretz Yisrael. And the third reason, he didn't want to be affected by Kinim, by the lice that would surround the dirt of Mitzrayim. Now, that's a really weird reason. Why would Yaakov Avinu think that he, Yaakov Avinu, one of the greatest people of all time, and a Jew, by the way, I'm not sure if we all know that, but he's definitely Jewish, would be affected by a Makkah that was meant for the Mitzrayim? Why was he worried about that? What is he worried about? The Makkah affects the Egyptians. The Jewish people weren't affected by it, were they? Why would that happen to him? It, it, it's almost as if Yaakovinu knew that it would affect him, and therefore he was worried about it. Now, that leads us to a very, very crazy subject, which we've done before, right? But I haven't gone into very big detail for a couple of years, so I want to do it again. The Vilna Gon says that this is the only maka that affected the Jews as well as the Egyptians. The Rishonim, they say the same. The Ritva on the Haggadah and the Ibn Ezra and Perak Zion Pasachov Dalit. They might say that there are other Makos as well that affected the Jews, but certainly Kinim did affect them. One has to wonder why this one, right, did as opposed to all the others. Why did this one affect them as opposed to all the others? And it's possible they understood this from Makos, uh, Makas Aruv. Because Makas Aruv says, Viflesi, Bayomazeh, Bayomahu, as Eretz Goshen. I'm going to separate the land of Goshen, that there won't be Arov throughout the land of Mitzrayim, which sounds like now I'm going to separate between the Jews and the Egyptians, but until now, I have not. And the Ibn Ezra says straight out, Dam, Tzvardea, and Kinim definitely affected the Jews. But the other ones did not necessarily. The Gra says only Kinim affected the Jews, and the other ones did not. And the Ritva is a little bit questionable about what exactly he holds and which one's going to be over here. He says clearly, though, that Chazal say the Jews were affected by every Makkah, not necessarily pained by them, they didn't necessarily get sorrow from them, but they were affected by them. And by the way, as a side note, I think that's kind of obvious. Wouldn't you think, like, look, if you know that the water turned into blood, right, and it's all blood everywhere, but you take it and it turns into water for you, you're going to drink that water, Ezra? It's disgusting. There are fish dead all over the place. That doesn't affect you. Like, I, I, granted, again, you know it's water, and to you it looks like water. But they're, they're sitting there like spitting out the water because it's blood to them and thick and viscous. And like every time you take the water and you hand it to an Egyptian, it turns into blood. That doesn't disgust you. Of course you're affected by that. Svardea, were they not affected by the sounds? The croaks didn't bother them? Did the Jews not hear anything? And don't tell me, well, Goshen is far away from Mitzrayim. That might be true, but there were no Mitzrayim in Goshen. Were they not affected by anything? Did frogs not get them there? There were no Jews in Mitzrayim. 
Well, of course they were affected by it. It just didn't hit them the way it did the Mitzrayim. It didn't pain them the way the Ritzvah says. I thought that that was obvious. Arov might have been the only difference, that the animals were running away from the Jews as opposed to running after the Egyptians. That's the way they understood it, and therefore the Jews weren't scared of it because they saw the animals literally running away from them, so there was no fear. But the other ones, I get it. Tamid Akral goes on, well, let's skip Rav Chaim for right now. The Rambam in Avos, Perak Hey Mishnah Dalit. He also says, this Maka came to B'nai Yisrael as well. They got Kinnam, but it didn't affect them. It didn't pain them. Clearly, it was a Makas Medina, right, the way they said it, that affected the ground. But the Jews didn't have it as bad as the Egyptians did. So it could be that all of the land of Goshen turned into Kinnam. That it was Kinnam for them. They weren't pained by it. The Kinnam didn't crawl all over their bodies, but there was Kinnam everywhere. There was lice everywhere. They just didn't have it. I don't know if anybody here has been around somebody with Kenim. You don't want to go anywhere near that person. Right? It's a scary... Even if you're not affected by the Kenim, you made your... You shaved your head bald. Right? Except for obviously the payas. The Kenim don't affect payas or beards. But, you know, you go ahead and you shave everything else and you know you're not going to be affected by it. No, you don't want to be around them. That's what the Rambam says. Now, Rav Schwab goes on and he talks about this and quotes the Radvaz in Tshuva Tuf Tuf Yud Gimel who says it's forbidden to think such a thing. Chas Vishon to think such a thing. The various psukims tell us that the Egyptians were harmed in B'nai Sawar. Now, the Ritzva kind of answers that because he says that they weren't harmed by the Makos, but the Makos existed by them. But regardless, he says this is a crazy thing. But then he suggests that the real source is from Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu saying that he was worried about the kingdom showed that it did do something to the Jews. What it did, we don't know. And how bad it was, we have no idea. According to Ibn Ezra, it mamish affected them. According to the Ritva, it didn't hurt them, but it was there. But whatever it was, there's something that happened to them. And maybe... That's why Paro assumed that they could only bring, that maybe they would be allowed to bring their korbanos in the land of Goshen. He assumed that that land was a little bit holier. Maybe it was that. Why wouldn't they be able to sacrifice in such an area, such a place that would be a little bit different? That's why Moshe answered, we can't do that. There are still Egyptians that live there, and you know that, and that's why the land of Goshen is being affected in some way by the Makos. Therefore, we have no choice but to, we can't sacrifice their gods right in front of their eyes. We have no choice but to go to the Midbar. And that might have answered, says Rav Schwab, maybe that answer is exactly what was kind of the idea of what Paro was thinking and trying to send them out. Dave, yeah. Uh, so in Koshet, right, for Yeah. Yeah, obviously, but not the Maka. The Maka itself didn't affect them. But that, that already is a, yeah, it's an obvious thing. I don't even know, like, if we really, like, I've done this before, like, going into the whole numbers of the Makas Chosha thing. I don't know if four-fifths of Egypt died. Like, you think about it, at the end of the ten Makos, more Jews died than the Egyptians during the whole period of the Makos, possibly even including Makas Bechoros, which is crazy to think about. Now, the obvious answer for why is, Akash Baruch wanted this to be, their death was an easier death, maybe a Mises Nishika, while the death of the Egyptians was filled with pain and suffering and misfortune. And maybe there's a difference in <coughs> the Olam Habas as well. I have absolutely no idea. But it is a crazy thing to think so about. on that point, that's what I was getting at, which is that if they suffered under the Makos beforehand, mm-hmm. then they got served, then why would they get Right, it's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great, it's a question that I asked Rav Eichenstein, um, still alive, Baruch Hashem, but, uh, Rav Eichenstein, when he was still with it and whatever, I asked him that years ago, about maybe 12 years ago. If the Egyptians got the amount of suffering that they did, how would they, wouldn't that mean that they're Zohar to Olam Haba? They can't suffer in this world and the next. And he said, yes, they could. <laughs> that was his answer. He said, 
the amount of suffering you need is defined by HaKadosh Baruch Hu based on what they did? And the answer is yes. That was basically his answer. But yeah, Shlomo, yeah. Gvura, what do you mean? Is that some say that they were after they went through the whole thing? Some say they were zokha to the body of the people. To olam haba? I'm saying olam haba. I don't know about that. But you said they were zokha past release to some level of something. Kavura. I thought you said givura, and I'm sitting there. I'm like vaera is the parsha of midas adin. But yeah, well, I don't know what you're saying. But kavura, yes, they were zokha to something. Well, what they got? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, building structures and uh, depending how uh, your, how low your foundations are, I'm sure a bunch of buildings happen. I'm assuming that such things happened. There is um, there are two things that it mentions by in one of the midrashim, and I can't remember where. Midrash the midrash. I don't remember, but it says that there was a palace of paros that 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 did come down. But I thought he said it was because of the water. I was pretty sure it was because of what happened in the water, and I might be messing up Dam and Kenan. That I remember. But there is something about the dirt of the ground as opposed to the dirt underneath the buildings. I think that was done on purpose, but I can't tell you for sure because I just don't remember. I'd have to like look it up, and I'd have to go into it. I just don't remember that. Anyway. That's what Schwab guys. So if you turn to page three, the next passage quotes the cartoon that they claimed it was Etzbalokim, the finger of God. I don't have that much time, so I'm going to try to go through this really quickly. But what exactly does the finger of God mean? So Rashi says what they meant to say when they claimed it was the finger of Hashem is that it could not have been done through magic. This has to be done by God. Right? In other words, it's the finger of Hashem. This is not just Stam a person, Stam whatever it is, another magician. It's not Moshe and Aaron who are great, whatever it is. No, no, no. God is involved. God is directly involved. He is the one that's making this happen. The Chidah says that's hinted to within the word itself. The word etzpa is ein sorech bedika od. That's Aleph Tzadi Bey's Ayin. Ein Sorech Bedika Od. We don't have to check this anymore. This is straight from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Reverse says something beautiful. He says the finger represents a touch of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now normally when we call Saras in the Torah, it's called a nega, a plague, as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu is touching you and saying, hey, stop it. And he's giving you an egg. And whenever a Baruch Hu touches a person, it causes a white spot, as if a death spot that's happening right in front of them. That's how Refers says it. Diseases and anything that comes in such a way, right, that means it's something that's so, so, uh, right, it's a direct touch of destruction from a Baruch Hu. The Egyptians had mastered nature. In their minds, they were in charge of nature. They could control it. But now they had to bow their heads, says Refers, to in shame to a nega that came directly from a Baruch Hu. If it was Something else, we would have been able to deal with it. But this is a, an etzba elokim, way beyond the natural, nat- natural order that we have, and we can't do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean by the Master nature? Probably the fact that they were able to make things like the pyramid at a time where you barely had the wheel, right? Probably things in which they had the idea, the idea of what mummification meant, and they knew how to keep things fresh through pyramid structures, etc., right? They were able to make a sphinx. There's a lot of things that we don't understand what the Egyptians were able to do and why they were able to do it and what they came from. They had mastery over nature in ways that we just don't understand. Who knows how the Nile Delta was originally formed? If they formed the Nile Delta and allowed for tributaries to go throughout the entire area to be able to make it so lush and beautiful and whatever it was, while the rest of the land was totally arid and dry. They did things that other people had never dreamed of doing, and that's what I mean by mastery over nature. That's the idea behind it, or what Rav Hirsch means by that. The Torah Moore says, look, 
they, they were saying, we get our experiences, and we've dealt with our deities for quite a while. We know all the Egyptian gods, and we know what everything does. We have no idea what this is. This is an ex Balokim beyond anything we've experienced before. We don't know what to do. We don't recognize it, says the Torah more. We just don't recognize it. All we know, it's not through Meisr Shadim, and it's not through Kishuf. This is not what we think. And that's what they were saying by Yetzel Kim. The Rabbi Bechaya says, originally, these men were called Khartoumei Mitzrayim, a very of name to the people in charge of Mitzrayim, because they were able to replicate what Aaron was doing. He made a staff turn into a snake, they made a staff turn into a snake, so they had no problem with that. They were able to replicate the blood, and that's that. But they weren't really able to make frogs. The frogs that they made were a pale comparison to the actual frogs out there. So by the Khartoumim, right, when they made the frogs, they already lost something. They were no longer Khartoumim Mitzrayim. They were just Khartoumim. But they were Khartoumim. The full word Khartoumim with a vav in there and everything, and they were there. Over here by the Kenan, because they lost another level, because they couldn't create the Kenan, from now on they're called Khartoumim with, without the vav. They lost the vav. Forget about being Khartoumim Mitzrayim. They're no longer that Khashiv. They were just experts at sleight of hand and simple magic. And now they had to tell Paro, by the way, Paro, we never really were able to make staffs turn into snakes. We never really were able to make blood or frogs. We were just experts at sleight of hand who were able to trick you into thinking that we were able to do that. Right? It's like all these magicians that are sitting in Vegas and just saying like, oh yeah, we don't really have power. We don't really know what you're thinking. We're able to control things, right, and what you're seeing, right, and we're able to do things like that, but not anything more than that. And that embarrassed them more than anything else. Barbanel says that these magicians would never have admitted their weakness normally. They never would have done it. But here they had to tell Paro, because Paro is demanding of them, make the kingdom, make it happen. And they told him, we can't. We can't. We're charlatans. We've always been charlatans. We could do some things up the way here, but we have no idea. We're really good at distracting crowds and moving our arms this way while we're doing the real magic trick over here, the fake magic trick over there. We're really good at stuff like that. Once Paro heard that, he was so disappointed that he never called on them ever again. And that got the Khartoumim thinking, which eventually led them to becoming the Erev Rav, which, in one way, at least they tried to join Klayuso and they might have been around by Harsinai. On the other way, they really lost everything, right? And we know that even the mid-board, they were the ones who started the Egel Azov, which obviously was not good. I'm going to tell you about Pardis Yosef. I'm just going to do it really quickly. There's a Rashi in Erevan, that says the whole world is a half ama by a half an ama of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a half ama and a half, by a half an ama of Hashem. I don't even know what that means. No clue. Like HaKadosh Baruch Hu is an arm, Shalom, and half of the arm, but whatever it is, it's a half ama by a half ama of Hashem. Now an ama, as we all know, is six tfachim. A tefach is Five etzbos, according to Menachos, Memalof, Menalof. Normally we say a tefach is four etzbos, one, two, three, four. But Menachos says that it's five. We'll go with that. Depends on what we're dealing with. By the way, five etzbos. Every ama, therefore, right, is 30 etzbos. Six times five is 30 etzbos altogether. And a half of that, because it's a half an ama, is going to be 15 etzbos, 15 fingers worth. The world is 6,000 parsa. That's what the Gemara tells us, 6,000 parsa. It's Gemara Pesachim. So that would be 400 parsa for every finger of a Baruch Hu. Mitzrayim was 400 parsa by 400 parsa, which is exba- exactly the etzba elokim. So they saw the etzba elokim throughout the land of Mitzrayim because the meters of Din of HaKadosh Baruch was upon them at that point. That's when they figured it out. That's just an unbelievable party, Yosef, that went through everything like that. Now, there's more. The Ibn Ezra says, that's not what it means. They were not admitting to God's mastery of the world that they now believe in God. The Ibn Ezra says, all they were saying is, this doesn't prove that Hashem is working for the Jews. They were saying, since we were successful in copying Aaron's first three signs, the blood, the frogs, and the staff, we were able to do that, this Makkah isn't from him. 
We were getting a Makkah anyway, and the Jews got super lucky. And especially because Dam, they came up to us and said, here's what we're going to do. Tzvardea, they came up to us and said, here's what we're going to do. Kinim, that didn't happen. We know it's because every third Makkah was done without warning. Dam was warned, Tzvardea was warned, Kinim was not. Arab was warned, Dever was warned, Shechin was not. Ar- uh, um, Arba was warned, Cho- uh, Choshe- uh, Ar- what am I saying? Barad is warned, Arba was warned, Choshech was not. And Makas Bacharos was warned. We know that every third wasn't. But they didn't. All of a sudden they got Kenan. And Paro's like, what? They're at it again? And the magicians are like, no. <laughs> We're just really unlucky this week. <laughs> like, this is, this is nothing to do with Moshe and Aaron. It's just our own gods are getting us. Right? They did Dam. They did Svardaya. But Kenan is just really bad. It's like a bad week. It's like a really, really bad, you know, that, that's the idea behind it. And that's what they're trying to say. Maybe they even said that their stargazers were able to see this, that's Etzba Elohim. It doesn't mean Etzba Elohim is in Hashem. They would have said Etzba Yud Kevavke. It's Etzba Elohim. It could be the Etzba of our gods. Our gods are in charge and they're punishing us right now. That's the idea behind it. That's how the Ibn Ezra says it. And that's the idea. The Rashbam and the Chizkuni say the exact same thing. They say it's a Makas Medina. It happened to happen. Right? If it was really magic, we would be able to do it as well. That's what they say over those nine. The Torah says that it affected the animals. The animals, what did they do? Why are they being affected? So it must be that this is going on everybody and therefore we have nothing to worry about. This is a bad luck situation. They didn't do it. The Ramban points out that the Ibn Ezra keeps vacillating a little bit between calling it a maka and a mikra, something that just happened. And it could be that that was a little bit confusing. He goes and he says 100% like Rashi, there's no question whatsoever that it's from that, it's a powerful maka. But they couldn't prove that it was from God. And that's the reason why they didn't do it that way, but that's that. Ravigdor Miller says something absolutely amazing over here. He says, first, he speaks about how terrible this maka really was. And he goes into like, if you've ever had a tick bite, and Baruch Hashem, I have never had a tick bite. I've never, I've seen people with Lyme disease. If you've ever seen somebody who's had Lyme disease to the extreme, it is horrible what happens to them. They literally like wither. They become like they can't do anything for a year and they have no idea why. It's like their whole life is like what, what am I doing? They're, they can't sleep. They can't talk. They can't. Everything is weird by them and it's really, really difficult. And then he says, he goes on to explain that there's an Abarbanel that explains everything here, he says, could be done in a very, very plausible way. Here's what he says. Look at this. He says, look, if the water became disgusting because it turned into blood or something that was like blood, something disgusting, right? Then the frogs obviously couldn't stay in the water. So where would they go? Well, they would invade the land. Well, if you have all this pestilence, all this lo- frogs all over the place that are causing all this disgusting you know, stuff out there, well, that's where lice comes in. Of course there's going to be lice. Well, the lice caused a lot of diseases in some of the animals and got them rabid. So these wild animals, right, started coming up against them and started eating them, right, started fighting the Mitzrayim because they were all, they all had rabies. Well, after that, obviously disease came in, right, because disease was everywhere and rampant, so therefore they all died. Right? And that eventually led to the boils, this type of disease that went to the human beings that spread from there. That's all the Abarbanel. Now, Velikovsky, the famous Russian kofer, you can look him up a little bit later, he is a great kofer. Like, a great kofer is in, like, of course he was Jewish. And he had a whole plausible theory as to what happened. Although, if I remember correctly, I can't remember exactly, I'm pretty sure he's the one that came up with the idea that I think it was, like, a volcanic eruption, like, 
caused a lot of people to die and their blood went backward from the Mediterranean Sea into the Nile River and caused it to become bloody. I don't know, something stupid. But either way, regardless. But he said that it was all natural. Moshe had to be super lucky. And he's like, the blood, the river will turn to blood. And it just did. And then everything happened. Velikovsky has a very similar taina. But the Abarbanel says that and goes through. Now the Malvin looks at that Abarbanel and he says it minimizes the miracle. How can you say that? Because that means that a Kodesh Baruch who's not in charge is just naturally allowing things to happen in a natural way, in a sequence of ways that allowed it to be in that way. So the Malvin looks at the Abarbanel and he says, no way, we can't allow that to happen. So the idea that Rabbi Victor Miller says it, says, is it's sort of a combination of both. The Egyptians had that attitude toward the Makos, that one led to the other and it could be natural. But the truth was that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was making it happen to them because he was hardening their hearts and didn't allow them to think clearly. They saw fingers and even hands involved in everything they were doing, and yet they couldn't make any good decisions. Maybe the Khartoumim changed a bit, and maybe they were able to recognize something a little bit more. But they still, Paro did not want to listen to anything they had to say. And that's how Rabbi Victor Miller says this happens to all of us. We ourselves in all of our lives see fingers of HaKadosh Baruch Hu doing things for us, and maybe even a hand slapping us in the face and telling us this is the wrong thing to do. And yet we don't stop. We're just like, nope, good, good idea. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm going through with this. Right? That's what happens all the time to everyone. We all have these finger situations where we can say it's etzbalokimni. Our question is, should we be looking at it in a different fashion? The Khartoumim tried. They weren't successful. Paro, I, I don't think he even tried, did not work out for him whatsoever. And we see what it's going to be. There's more. The Rabbeinu Bahaya calls an etzba a pella, anything that's crazy. Blood and frogs are not a bria chadasha. But lice, especially like this, is an absolute bria chadasha. It was crazy to see and they didn't understand what it's going to be. The Barbanel goes into it, etc., and it goes into this idea. But we're going to finish off with one thing right over here. What time? Yeah, perfect timing. You can skip the Rechaim Paltiyah, the Moshe Zakanim, and the Panim Yafos over there. Chafetz Chaim was actually discussing this maka at the end of his life. You should know, by the way, the last couple years of the Chafetz Chaim's life, they say the Chafetz Chaim did not learn anything but Chumash Rashi of Sefer Bereshis. I have no absolute proof to that, obviously, but that's what they claim the Chafetz Chaim was learning toward the end of his life. Chumash Rashi Sefer Bereshis. That's what you're doing. So, I don't know, at some point, he was speaking with, who was it, Rebbe Pesach Kohn, who's his Shamish toward the end of his life. He's speaking with him about Kinem itself. And he said, the purpose of every Makkah was for Paro to understand the mastery recognize God's mastery over the entire world. Every nation that is given power begins to think that they're the most important thing in the world and that nothing else exists other than what they want. HaKadosh Baruch who therefore delivered a Makkah that seemed to be quite natural, right? So they'll realize while they think they're in charge, they're really not. And that was the point of every Makkah, but especially Kenan. And we learned last week the idea that this was true about everybody, meaning this is true about B'nai Yisrael as well. It's not really about Paro. It's really about B'nai Yisrael understanding what their role in all the Makos were, what they were supposed to get out of it. And that's the idea that the Chavetz Chaim discussed throughout this entire parasha, that it's really about us understanding there's always an ex There's always something there. Yeah. But if the whole point of the if one of the points of the Makos at that point was to 
let, make it clear to everyone for all time that uh, he's in charge, yeah. um, then wouldn't it seemingly be counterproductive to make it through seeming natural events? I, I hear you. I think that a Kaddish Baruch who always does things through natural events because that's how he created the world. Think of the Kriyas Yamsuf, the way there was wind that was coming in through there. Everything a Kaddish Baruch Hu has done in such a way. Harsina is the only exception. Harsina was only done for Klau Yisrael. But other than that, I think a Kaddish Baruch Hu understands he made rules in this world and abides by those rules except for that one time of Harsina. But Nisim can still be as glorious as they are even if they do happen with a natural component to them. I think that's okay. That still can be an absolute miracle. I think... I still think that goes through. We'll stop with that, guys. Have a great Shabbos.